On this week's edition of New York Now, New York's Attorney General sues former President Donald Trump, claiming business fraud in New York. Then, after Amazon workers on Staten Island voted to unionize this spring, a warehouse in the capital region could be next. We'll take you there. And later, businesses say New York is leaving them with a bill they didn't ask for. We'll talk about it. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. $250 million and a one-way ticket out of New York's business community. That's what New York Attorney General Tish James wants in a new lawsuit against former President Donald Trump. James and investigators with the state AG's office are accusing Trump, his three eldest children, and a few close associates of business fraud over a 10-year period. The lawsuit basically claims that Trump and his family told banks and investors that their assets, like property and cash, were worth more than they actually were. That way, they could convince those banks and insurers to allegedly lend them more money and sell them better insurance coverage. Because it's a lawsuit, this is all civil, meaning there are no criminal charges against Trump here. But James said that's not off the table in the future. We believe the conduct alleged in this action also violates federal criminal law, including issuing false statements to financial institutions and bank fraud. And we are referring those criminal violations that we've uncovered to the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York and the Internal Revenue Service. Let's get into it with Josh Solomon from the Times Union. Josh, thanks for being here. Anytime. So what has the Trump camp said about this lawsuit? They've called it a witch hunt. Uh, that was pretty expected. They've been saying that all along. Uh, the, the witch hunt was, they say it's politically motivated, right? They say this has been uh, Attorney General James's goal all along to get me to try to take me down. And Attorney General James has said that she wants to take down Donald Trump. So mm -hmm. they're playing off of that. They're also saying businesses, banks are not aggrieved from this. They got their money. So what's the problem? And Tish James is kind of framing this in a different way, right? She's saying it's not so, it, it is, yes, you did defraud allegedly these banks and insurers, but also what you did regardless of whether these banks and insurers can afford it was illegal. And if, if a regular person that wasn't the president had done this, they would be, char they would be sued, so why not you? Uh, I just thought that was interesting. We were talking uh, on air before that. What did you think of that? Well, you know, she says white-collar crime is crime. No one is above the law. When she was saying during her press conference the other day about no one is above the law, it reminded me of the same statement she was saying when she was going after then-Governor Andrew Cuomo. Yes. No one is above the law. And that's the kind of stance her, her office has taken. But remember, she was, when, before she was a Democrat, she was a working family party's politician. She very much sees it as her goal as a Brooklyn Democrat, born and raised in Brooklyn, as I'm going to represent everyday working people. And she says, this is a crime. If a regular person tried to get a house or open up a business with a false claim, they would have the feds going after them. They would have the state going after them. So we're going to go after Trump relative to what we think is the crime. 
You know, I do see their argument. I, I do see the Trump camp's argument about it being political. I mean, we are uh, five, six weeks out of an election that could determine control of the House and the Senate. It's a very big election. Um, this could certainly sway voters in some really important swing districts in New York where we don't know who's going to win those races. And as we know, New York is kind of a big determining factor in those majorities, right? So politically, what does this look like in the next couple of weeks, Josh? Do you think this actually makes a big splash? Well, there's some criticism of this, of the timing from Attorney General James, because Typically, if you know DOJ was to put out a big investigation or something, they would try to refrain from doing it within 60 days of an election. And uh, in New York, we didn't end up doing that in this case. The, the attorney general did put out a case. And so, granted, Donald Trump's not on the ballot, but if you listen to what um, Governor Kathy Hochul's camp says, they would say Trump is on the ballot. They would say... Congressman Lee Zeldin is a, is a disciple of Trump, and this is why you shouldn't vote for him. And so maybe it'll factor into things. Maybe it'll be just another thing that someone thinks about of, well, there's abortion, there's guns, and oh, yeah, there's also still Donald Trump. But, you know, to the flip side, maybe Republican voters see this as just another example of the Democratic Party in New York taking advantage of, of them and, and good business people and trying to push out good business here. Yeah, I think we've reached a, a moment in, in U.S. politics right now where it, we are more partisan than ever. I mean, people are very far on either side, and there's fewer, fewer people in the middle. I, I mean, that's just my opinion on the political sphere of things. Um, so I could imagine that this wouldn't change things too much. I mean, we'll have to see how it changes things at the polls. But this is a lawsuit, so it was filed this week. What what comes next? Well, I just want to say one quick point on that is yeah. that uh, independents are essential to Lee Selden winning yes. the race for governor. He's got to win the overwhelming majority of them. So those few of you that are out there that are <laughs> in the middle, if, if you're not won by the Republican candidate, then there's very unlikely to be a Republican governor. Yes. In terms of next steps, uh, Attorney General James is asking for $250 million. Uh, she's asking for the Trump family to basically be barred from running the organization. She's also referring it to federal um, investigators, both the IRS and the Southern District in New York, looking to try to saying, well, we can't recommend criminal charges here, but look at the, the scheme that we found. And you guys should look at that, and we'll see what they do with it. It's interesting. As you and I both know, litigation can take quite a long time. So while there was a big headline this week, we might not know what the result of this lawsuit is for years and years and years. And by that time, we don't know who will be in the Oval Office and who's going to be controlling Congress. So we'll see. Josh Solomon from the TU, thank you as always. No problem. All right, moving on now to a story we told you about last week. It was about four months ago that Amazon workers on Staten Island formed the first union in the company's history. And that was a big deal because the union was entirely worker-led, becoming what's now called the Amazon Labor Union. And since then, Amazon workers around the country have launched their own union efforts. That includes a group of workers in the Albany area. Photojournalist Thomas Connolly has that story. I, I think that it's very important at this point that the consumer hears what is exactly going on 
in that warehouse, what we go through to get their package out. Kimberly Lane is one of hundreds of workers at Amazon's ALB1 distribution facility in Rensselaer County. It's a huge building with a constant flow of trucks in and out, nestled in a quiet town just outside of Albany. But next month, that town could be the site of something big. Lane and hundreds of other workers at the facility will vote on whether to form a union. And if they're successful, it would be just the second time that's happened in Amazon's history. The first was this spring on Staten Island, where workers formed the Amazon Labor Union, claiming unsafe conditions and low pay. In Albany, union organizers say the same. Heather Goodall, who works at the facility, is leading those efforts. I had taken photos and videos of um, several aisles and bins that were collapsing within the warehouse. Those bins had collapsed to the point where now the, the shelving on the sides were now sticking out, protruding into the aisles, oftentimes um, causing lacerations on employees. Amazon has pushed back, urging workers to vote against a union. In a statement, an Amazon spokesperson said, quote, as a company, we don't think unions are the best answer for our employees. Our focus remains on working directly with our team to continue making Amazon a great place to work. But organizers disagree. They don't think Amazon is a great place to work, at least not right now. They want better pay and claim that conditions created by Amazon at the facility are both unfair and unsafe. Quotas for employees determine performance, and when a worker wants to take a break or use the bathroom, that could impact their numbers. And if that happens, workers say there could be consequences. Goodall again. Let's say, for example, 50 items an hour. You have to pack those. If you don't pack those, then you could be written up or fired for quality or for um, not meeting your quota. Let's say you've increased your fluids to stay hydrated and you go to the bathroom and you go, let's say, three additional times a day, five minutes each, that's 15 minutes they're gonna ask you what you were doing. If you say, I was going to the bathroom, well, you need to go on your breaks and there's a risk you can get written up. It, it's so hot and you're working so hard, you're constantly drinking water. So it's impossible to not have to use the bathroom every once in a while, you know? And you have to also understand that when you're in the middle of the warehouse, your bathrooms are all the way down there or all the way down there. So it's gonna take you a good 15 minutes to leave your station, go use the facilities, and you know, once it gets to a point that they think it's a little too disconcerting, they're probably gonna fire you. And workers say that creates a working environment that isn't safe, where employees could work through pain or fatigue to keep their numbers up at the risk of injury. It's a problem that, workers say, was made worse during the pandemic when online orders went up, and that actually prompted new legislation at the state capitol. The state legislature passed the Warehouse Worker Protection Act earlier this year in response to those claims. It's sponsored by State Senator Jessica Ramos, a Democrat from Queens who chairs the Labor Committee. What this bill does is allow workers to have a bathroom break. What this bill would do is really regulate the algorithm that companies like Amazon and others use to have control over their workforce. And unfortunately, they're treated like robots, not human beings. Well, over the past few years, we've seen warehouse work explode, right? This is a, a very rapidly growing industry in New York State. And throughout the pandemic, when people were staying home and ordering 
more packages than usual, of course, there was a higher demand for this workforce. And so it showed us that we were quickly walking into uh, a situation where we were allowing high-tech sweatshops to operate in New York State. It's been more than three months since that bill passed, largely along party lines. And lawmakers are hoping Governor Kathy Hochul signs it, and soon. But now it's just sitting on the governor's desk, and it really is a matter of time uh, before another worker gets injured or worse. And for the workers in Albany and across New York, injuries have been top of mind. An analysis of Amazon's self-reported data from the National Employment Law Project, a workers' rights group, showed a 64% increase of injury rates at Amazon warehouse and logistics facilities from 2020 to 2021. In Albany, workers say the ALB1 warehouse is the site of regular ambulance calls, a claim that sources familiar with EMS activity in Rensselaer County backed up. Kevin Quinn is another worker at the warehouse. I had a 50-pound box almost hit me in the back of my head when I was passing down an aisle. It was being held by one elastic strap, and it was already leaning out of the bin. And all of a sudden, I heard something hit, hit the upper shelf. We drive these little carts that can go up and down in the air, and it literally hit the back of that pit, and then luckily it was deflected, and it went Otherwise, it would have hit me right on the back of my head and my shoulder. Amazon said the company wouldn't have the time to give us a tour of the ALB1 facility before next month's union vote, but challenged the claims of unsafe working conditions. In a statement, a spokesperson said, quote, We strongly disagree. The safety and well-being of our employees at ALB1 and across the company are our highest priority. We also work closely with health and safety experts and scientists, conduct thousands of safety inspections each day in our buildings, and have made hundreds of changes as a result of employee feedback on how we can improve their well-being at work. But workers, in Albany at least, say they still don't feel safe at work, or appreciated. Another big part of why they want to unionize is to bargain for higher wages. The average starting pay for these kinds of positions at Amazon is $18 an hour, according to the company. Workers are hoping that changes if their union vote passes next month. The union is going to provide them. I think other than the wages and um, employing the, the safety measures that we need to protect employees, I do believe that it's also gonna offer that job security that people should have. People are going to work every day. Is this my last day? I can't go to the bathroom. I can't, you know, leave my station. So the union is going to offer them that protection that they deserve. In the meantime, workers say Amazon lobbied against a union. If workers vote yes, they would join the Amazon Labor Union, the same union that represents workers on Staten Island. But workers say management has held mandatory meetings bashing the union and lobbying workers to vote no. It's just ridiculous with these captive audience meetings and telling everybody that, um, you know, where ALU is untested and unproven. And they're really trying to instill a lot of fear into employees as far as signing cards. Amazon has created a culture of intimidation. And that, I think, plays into the fear of losing your job, the fear of going to the bathroom, the fear of, um, you know, missing UPT, going to work sick. Am I going to all of these fears? Amazon has very skillfully created a culture of fear, and they did that strategically. 
So we need to make sure that these employees know you don't have to live in fear anymore. You're going to work. And how do we eliminate that fear? We show support. Amazon defended the practice, saying they're just trying to share their side with workers who might be on the fence. In a statement, a spokesperson said, quote, Holding meetings about unions with employees is a process that's been legally recognized for more than 70 years. Like many other companies, we hold these meetings because it's important that everyone understands the facts about joining a union and the election process itself. Both sides will have the next few weeks to make their case. Workers will vote on whether to form a union in mid-October. For New York Now, I'm Thomas Connolly. And we'll let you know what happens when the union vote wraps up next month. But sticking with news about business in New York. New York's businesses will be stuck with a new bill in the next few weeks related to unemployment costs during the pandemic, if the state doesn't step in. And as of now, that's not looking likely. That's because at the height of the pandemic, New York State borrowed about $10 billion from the federal government to fund unemployment costs. At the time, the state had run out of cash because there was such a high demand for unemployment. Remember, New York had all non-essential businesses shut down at the time. But now, that loan has come due. And because of how the system is set up, if the state doesn't pay it, the interest from the loan falls onto businesses. And for many, that's not a small cost. So for more on all that, I spoke with Ken Pakowski from the State Business Council and Ashley Ranslow from the National Federation of Independent Business. Ken, Ashley, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. So Ashley, I want to turn to you first. This is a really complicated issue. I want to boil it down to what it actually means for businesses on the ground. So if I'm a business, do we have any sense of what this is going to cost me? Absolutely. So business owners right now with these interest assessment surcharges are having to pay $27.60 per employee. Mm -hmm. And that's due to the state this month. So they know that that cost, they know that cost to them. But I want to point out that that cost is in addition to increase in their state UI taxes. On average, on average businesses are paying an extra $200 per employee in state UI taxes compared to their 2020 rates. And that's also on top of just their existing state UI taxes, which averaged between $200 and $800 employees per employee. So this, the cost, while it's $27.60, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when the cumulative effect, it is a tremendous amount of money that New York State's asking small businesses and businesses in general to pay. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you see this as an issue for both small and large businesses? Is, is the same impact for them? Can large businesses maybe foot more of the bill? Or is it, you know, pain for businesses across the board? It's pain for businesses across the board. And, you know, Ken can speak a little bit more to the large business piece. We represent just small businesses. They're certainly feeling the pinch uh, from inflation to supply chain disruptions to labor shortages. They're already experiencing a ton of financial pressures. And this is another added cost on top of it. I've spoken with a number of our small businesses asking them, how are, how are you coping with this? How are you coping with all these increased costs? And a lot of it is, you know, they are having to raise prices. Mm. They're not filling open positions. They're decreasing hours. They're having to make difficult adjustments. I talked to one business owner, he's no longer taking a paycheck, just to, oh. in order to absorb these additional costs. And remember, this isn't the only increased cost that businesses are paying. Right. Labor costs have gone up, supply costs have gone up, um, energy costs have gone up. So the, the, the significant thing about New York State is we're unique in the way we've 
not responded to this, this problem. And look at it another way, it's $27 a head. It's an $8 billion tax increase on business. If you present it that way, that gets attention. It's an $8 billion tax increase on business. And in, you know, large, some large businesses, yeah, can maybe absorb it better, but if you got like 2,000 people in the state, these numbers add up. And some businesses are, you know, even large businesses work on a fairly thin margin. They're competing with out-of-state companies who aren't incurring this cost. Um, we've talked about this a lot. Um, some 35 states have put public dollars into their UI systems in response to the impact of the pandemic. Um, Texas did $7 billion. California earlier this year did $2.5 billion. Uh, other than Massachusetts, which did something different, New York State is the only state that has not acted. They've done nothing in terms of legislation to help relieve this, 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 this cost burden on business. And remember why, why this happened. In March of 2020, New York State said, unless you were an essential business, 100% reduction force. I mean, right. your employees could not come to work. We closed businesses down, and UI has always been an experience-rated program. It's 100% employer-financed, and you pay more if you lay people off and incur costs to the system. Here, the government said, you have to do this. And so we thought it made a lot of sense, and 35 other states agreed uh, that there should be a public-private cost-sharing of uh, of this $8 billion increase in, 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 uh, in expenses. You both have mentioned it a bit, but I want to ask you how this impacts the, the people that you represent in terms of going forward. Uh, I'll start with you first, Ashley. For, so for small businesses, $27 a head is not, I know it sounds like a small expense for people, but if you think about a mom and a pop shop who has 20 employees, that adds up really quick, cutting into their rent. So going forward, if they have to pay this cost, if they're not helped at all, What's the consequence for small businesses? It's huge, especially given what we're, we're seeing and what we're reading about with the future of the economy. And you're looking at projections where the state budget's going not, is going to be in the red, uh, mm -hmm. not going to be as good, as well off as everyone thought. And you're hearing everyone talk about this recession. So think about a small business owner who never recouped the losses of the pandemic who now is having to pay these added costs and might be staring down a recession. I mean, so we're talking about huge consequences here for small businesses, for the local economy, and for the main streets that really drive our communities, make sure that we're getting the tax revenue that we need and all of that. So New York State doing nothing and staring down a potential re recession is even more devastating. Ken, what about big businesses? As we said, they may be, be able to shoulder the burden a little bit more, but obviously it has this huge impact on them. But I think the impact is different for those businesses. Again, it depends on the nature of the business. Right. Uh, I mean, it's still a, a big number because it's headcount based, it's salary based. The more you pay in aggregate salary, the more you pay on unemployment insurance taxes. And it's just one more, it's just one more thing. If you look at over the last just four or five years, how many new labor law mandates are being imposed on businesses, very unique things that like no other state or a handful of states uh, uh, do. It adds up, it adds up. And uh, you know, right, uh, recent data showed we're one of the few states that have not you know, hit the pre-pandemic jobs number. I think we're something like 300,000 shy. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Um, the cost structure in New York State um, the, the, the state's particularly upstate challenges in retaining uh, workforce uh, all adds up to an economy that's, that's underperforming. And this is, you know, 
it's a you know the old saying you die you know the death of a thousand cuts this is one of those cuts you know the state leaders will tell you the governor and the legislative leaders will tell you that this should be a federal responsibility the state shouldn't have to pay back the seven billion that the federal government should step in and pay mm -hmm. that for the state what do you both say to that I'll start with you Ken well, we know what Congress has said to that. We gave you $24 billion, and what right. you did with it was up to the state. And they looked around, and we've heard this from some, some of our congressional members. Uh, 35 other states took CARES Act and ARPA funds and put it towards their unemployment insurance programs. New York State didn't. Don't expect another dollop of funds for this. Ashley. Yeah, same thing. It, it's a pipe dream to think that the federal government's going to come in and just forgive New York State's outstanding debt. If, if you're a lawmaker in any one of these other states, we'll use Texas, for example, and the seven billion they put towards their UI to pay off their debt, they're never going to agree to forgiving New York State's debt. So this, this idea that's being pushed by lawmakers, by you know, Albany's leaders, that the, well, the federal government is gonna have to forgive this, all you're doing is cooking, kicking the can down the road and you're not addressing the problem and you're really just having small business shoulder the full cost of paying this back, uh, hoping for something that's never going to happen. Yeah, and 80% of the outstanding debt, maybe even close to 90 now, is two states, California, and they're in the $17 billion range, and us. Yeah. And everyone else is, you know, I mean, Illinois still has a little bit and the other states are a couple hundred. Yeah, a couple hundred million, yeah. yeah. Wow. Small, relatively small numbers. Wow. But we're New York and California the leading the pack here. Yeah. Yeah. We lead a lot in New York, but maybe sometimes not in the best things. <laughs> Ken Pokalski from the Business Council. Ashley Ranslow from the National Federation of Independent Business. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Happy beer. As of now, it doesn't look like the state has any plans to step in, but we'll let you know if that changes. Until then, thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.